Okay, so welcome to our weekly Bible study and current event study for March 4th, 2007. And today we're going to start out with an article that I received this week from Cutting Edge Newsletters entitled, The Holy Land was shaking with huge prophetic uh, news events this winter. Another sign of the times, rabbis are requesting permission to begin sacrificing animals on the Temple Mount. So this is something that, uh, again, is just further confirmation of the time, day and times we're moving into. Now, I thought there was an appropriate verse to quote before we get into this article. So, biblically, we can understand how a Christian is supposed to view this type of thing. Hebrews 9, 11-15 says, quote, But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So see, this old covenant has been done away with. And it's not by the blood of goats or calves, but by the blood of Jesus Christ that now he's entered into the holy place. That's how we obtain our eternal redemption. And the Jews who have, you know, since since Christ came, rejected them, not, not all of them, but obviously the vast majority, they themselves are wanting to go back into this old system. And the Bible predicts this is going to happen, predicts it in Daniel. And so this isn't something we should be upset about, because it has to happen in order for the abomination of desolation to happen. If, if the Antichrist is going to come into the temple and he's going to cause the sacrifices to cease, well, there has to be a temple there for the sacrifices to be stopped. So, we know this is going to be happening. It's just that there's a lot of Christians out there right now that are actually wanting to support the rebuilding of the temple on the Temple Mount. I just talked to a man the other day and... Um, he, they've got whole sects of Christianity, particularly in the Hebrew roots, Hebrew roots movement and the charismatic movement, that are wanting to actually devote money to actually rebuild the temple. Now, that's crucifying, you know, it's like you're trying to put crucifying Christ afresh. I mean, if you're going to actually build a temple where they're going to reinstitute temple sacrifices, and that's the main reason they want to rebuild this thing, then you better be really careful where you're putting your money. Because you're putting your money toward a corrupt cause. Ultimately, that's not going to glorify Christ. And he, he told me, he had justified this by saying, well, what we're going to do is we're going to dedicate this, this, we're going to all go up there this summer. There's going to be like, I don't know how many thousands of supposedly Christians and Messianic Jews and maybe, I, I can't be Jews, but Messianic Jews I would imagine. And we're going to have this big prayer rally in Jerusalem in the summer. And we're going to dedicate the temple to the Lord Jesus Christ. What an abomination. What kind of discernment are you using where, 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 you, would, where you would think that Christ would accept this? He already came and paid the price. He shed his blood one time. It doesn't have to need, we don't have to need to go back to the old sacrificial system where we're sacrificing, you know, goats and sheep and things of this nature. That's an abomination in his sight. When we do these things, we're saying that the blood of Christ was not sufficient. 
which is what the Catholics do every time they have a Mass where they believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation, where they actually believe that they're turning the Catholic communion host into the literal flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ and the wine into the literal blood. I mean the literal blood. They believe the priest has this magical, mystic power through the process and the doctrine of transubstantiation to actually do this. So they are crucifying the Son of Christ afresh, as it talks about in Hebrew, every time they go in there. That's why when you see a Catholic cross, you always see Jesus on the cross. You ever notice that? Catholic crosses always have him on the cross. He's not on the cross anymore. He's off it. But they want to keep re-putting him back on the cross. Why? To continually pay their sin debt. Because deep down, if the truth be known, Catholicism is pure paganism. And they have to keep doing these things over and over and over, this works-based religion, in order to get the job done of the sin debt being paid. All of the sacraments, the seven sacraments, and all these things you have to do, 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 in order to obtain your for your sins to be uh, forgiven and, and, and for that debt to be repaid. That's how the Catholics view these things. Christ is not sufficient. And then there's a, so many other things with, with that that's wrong. So I just wanted to kind of draw the parallel there. Um, and again, you have to go to Ephesians 2.11 for you are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what we're talking about here is works-based religion. Whether you're sacrificing a goat, or whether you're trying to be a good Catholic, or whether you're trying to earn your way into heaven, or nirvana, or wherever you call, wherever you're going to go when you die, they're all works-based religions. So, that's what separates true Bible-believing Christianity from all the other isms and religions of the world. So, moving on in this Bible verse, it says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. So, if this were true, if we could uh, achieve our sins being covered by the blood of bulls and goats, if this were true, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal, and I just started it back on the verse again, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So see, at one time, uh, under the Levitical law, actually, this was the way it was set up. But when Christ came, now we're under a better covenant. That's why it says, and again, we're in Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 15, it says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So this is really, you really can't even hardly compare the two. It's, it's not worthy to compare the blood of Christ to the blood of bulls. It's just not. So we're under again a better covenant. Back to the verse. It says, and for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament. This being Christ. He's the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, his death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So, this verse is a good thing to preface this whole article that we're going to get into right now. Um, because, again, what this article is entitled, Signs of the Times, Rabbis are requesting permission to begin sacrificing animals on the Temple Mount. 
This was appeared in the Jerusalem Post, February 28, 2006. So just this just came out. Quoting from this, a fringe, a fringe group of extremist rabbis want to resume the biblical practice of animal sacrifice at the Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Well, I don't know why they really say that, because, I mean, are you telling me the Jews right now, as a majority, wouldn't want this if they were still under the Jewish system? Why would they not want this? I mean, if that's how they believe they have to practice their religion, why would it just be an extremist group? But to me, that doesn't really hold water. Define centuries of religious bans and triggering a stiff protest from a Muslim leader. Well, what religious bans? Of other religions, did they ban it? I mean, I don't see how the Jewish religion would have banned this. I could see if they would have banned it after Christ came and said, yes, he is the Messiah, he is who he said he was. But they didn't do that. They, they said, and I'm talking corporately, and I'm not talking that every Jew is going to hell, I'm, and I'm not anti-Semitic at all, but they did say to Pilate, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus, let his blood, meaning Jesus' blood, be upon us, the Jews, and our children. And this, I don't really think you have to look a whole lot further than this to understand why the Jews have been under the type of seeming curse really since then. Uh, look at what's just happened to them in the last century with the Holocaust and these types of things. So they, they have, they've had a pretty rough time uh, in dealing with this stuff. So this group is called the Reestablished Sanhedrin. Now you might remember the Sanhedrin from, from the Bible. Uh, which would be, you could consider them like the Pharisees, Sadducees, the very, very religious Jews. Okay. Um, now, these are the same Jews that will consult the Torah and the Midrash, and if the truth be known at the higher levels, the Kabbalah. The, the, the highest form of, really, witchcraft on earth. Okay. Now, now a lot of people say, oh no, that's, that's wrong, that's not true. Study that thing out. Study it out and see if it's not true. Because every time I study the subject, I always come to the logical conclusion that they're actually using the Kabbalah at the higher levels. It may not be entry level stuff, but they are using it because they believe that's the higher level. It's like getting into the Masons. Uh, they're not going to reveal to you all their secrets right off the bat. You know? So, this is something that not a lot of people know. This group called the Reestablished Sanhedrin after the Temple Era Religious High Court, has decided to buy some sheep and try to find one that is ritually perfect for sacrifice. With an eye toward resuming the practice. Now, I've, I've already heard, it's, it's kind of well known in these circles, that they have found a red heifer. I don't know how much all these different and various sects of Judaism are working together. That I don't know. Okay, But I think they will be working together, ultimately. To get, this, uh, to get this done. The 71 members of the reestablished Sanhedrin say they want to begin sacrificing animals again despite the absence of the temple, the ritual altar, and all the required implements listed in the Bible. Well, I guess, you know, anything goes at this point. Whatever, whatever they got to do, as long as they can get that sacrifice done, something to appease their consciences, I guess. Quoting for, again, it says, We want to do the sacrifice... But we have political problems, Rabbi Steen said. We hope there will come a time when the government will agree. We will push for that to happen, end of quote. A very sad fact 
No, a very fact that the conservative rabbis are beginning to agitate for the resumption of animal sacrifices on the Temple Mount is a, quote, sign of the times. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 24 that, that the Daniel 26b through 27 prophecies would come true. What did these prophecies say about animal sacrifices on the Temple Mount during the Antichrist? Well, let's just read it. Uh, Daniel 9.27 And he, meaning the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, most likely, again, with one week, we're talking about the seven-year tribulation. Each day representing one year. Which is biblical, and that would be a whole other Bible study to prove that out. But it's, it's, this is what we're in reference to here. Uh, he will should confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is the Antichrist. Okay? And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. This is again where the sacrifices within the temple are going to, they're going to cease in the midst of this week. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. Now, I've given you the scenario before, and I, I think Cutting Edge has a very good grip on this, the Cutting Edge Ministries, where when World War III happens, and, and the occult factions of the global elite have been planning World War III for like 200 years at least, if not further back. Um, you can even go back to Albert Pike, the, the uh, Confederate war general who, who headed up... Uh, really was the, the modern day founder of the KKK and was the highest ranking Freemason of the, of the 1800s uh, who wrote the book Morals and Dogma which is basically like the Bible of the Freemasons and there's two versions of that and the version you would want to get if you really wanted to see the occult side was the, I, I believe it's the esoteric version uh, but anyway, that's another subject so he, uh, he's, he's wrote about World War III this covenant that's going to be confirmed most likely is going to be out of the ashes of World War III. Now what's World War III going to be? Well, it doesn't really take a Rhodes Scholar at this point. Of course, that's not a, probably a very good example of Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> because we could do a whole Bible study on Rhodes Scholars. <laughs> but um, it, it doesn't take uh, somebody with a very, very high intelligence level to understand that what you're dealing with with the end time scenario is that you're going to have most likely a Middle East war and it's going to be Israel against various Middle East countries whether it's Israel against Iran whether it's Israel against the whole Middle East whether we're backing Israel I hope we are um, but out of that the ashes of World War III is most likely going to arise the Antichrist and he's going to be the man of peace at the beginning the Bible even says this and he's going to appear to have a solution to this whole Middle East thing, you know, and we're all going to be able to finally get along. And he's going to confirm this covenant with many, partly with many nations. There's going to be a covenant that's going to be signed with many nations. And that is going to essentially signal the start of the tribulation. And this is why it says he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is going to be for seven years. And in the midst of that week, in the middle of the three and a half weeks, there's going to be something that happens where the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, where he goes into the temple and proclaims himself to be God. And that's the abomination of desolation. So, for any of our listeners hearing that, I wanted just to clarify that.
So this passage makes it quite clear that at the time of the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period, animal sacrifices are being carried out on the Temple Mount in the Temple. Well, I don't know. It, it doesn't say for sure that when the sacrifices start. All we know is that during the middle of the three and a half years, they're going to stop. That doesn't necessarily mean they have to be going from beginning to end. The bottom line remains is if the temple has to be rebuilt for the tribulation to start, then we're, we could be way off as far as tribulation starting because that's going to take a while. I, can't, I mean, I can't believe they're, they're going to be able to put up a temple in a week. You know? Um, no, I think it should be fine. That, that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, so I think they're going to be able to uh, put up a... You know, I don't know how long that's going to take. I've kind of pondered about that, and um, it's, it's really hard to say how long it would actually take them to get one up. This verse also makes it quite clear that this animal sacrifice shall cease at the midpoint of the tribulation, after the Antichrist um, creates the abomination of desolation. Now, again, where do we get this abomination? Where's, where's further confirmation of the abomination of desolation? If we go to Matthew 24, 15. Matthew 24, 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, now this is the verse we just read, Daniel 9.27, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth him, let him understand. And then it goes on to give warnings about what... So, this is more confirmation um, that Jesus was actually giving in regard to the abomination of desolation. Okay, So that's a whole other Bible study. I don't want to really get into that right now. But... Um, of course, since God's judgments of 70 A.D. destroyed the temple and caused animal sacrifices to cease, a new temple must be created on the existing dome of the rock. The existing dome of the rock must be destroyed. Now, the, the um, dome of the rock is what are the Muslim... I think it's the third most holy site in the Muslim world. And that has to be destroyed in order for them to rebuild the temple on that. Now you can imagine if they were to destroy that, they, that's all they need to do is have, to have a gigantic war. Um, the stinking thing should have never ever been there. Okay, And if this temple was going to be to the glory of God, it'd be one thing and I'd be saying yeah, go get them Jews, but I mean it's not going <laughs> to that's not going to be the case, uh, unfortunately. But it has to happen. It has to happen. So um, now there's another thing he gets into here he says, make, this is David Bay from Cutting Edge, make no mistake about it, illuminized, the Illuminized Freemasons fully intend to rebuild Solomon's temple. All events in Israel revolve around the fervent desire to rebuild the temple so that the Masonic legends of Hiram Abiff can be fulfilled. Now Hiram Abiff is a guy briefly mentioned in, in the Bible that the Masons uh, build a lot around, I believe it's the third degree of the Masons, where they talk a lot about Hiram, Hiram Abiff and how he had the master's this this um, this master's word, and they they actually I saw this whole thing reenacted on TV the other night. They actually went into one of the Masons' thing. Uh, I believe the History Channel was doing this thing. Then I sugarcoat the Masons, and um, they were showing this this supposedly benign innocuous thing they were doing, and they were role playing. And he, this 
the, the candidate is actually represented as Hiram Abiff, and he has three three people come up to him, um, Jubilon, Jubilo, or Jubilee, or whatever, and they come up to him and they basically try to get this word out of the sky of Hiram Abiff. And the, the secret word of Hiram Abiff, I believe, is called Maha Bone. And um, it has something to do with bone marrow. I, I tried to do a keyword study on it, but, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of irrelevant um, for, for what we're talking about now. But suffice it to say, the Freemasons, think about it, the Freemasons were Masons by trade. They were builders. And they were builders, and they did it in such a way it was very, very secretive and esoteric. Well, this is the whole thing that they attached to Solomon's Temple. It was the greatest structure ever really built, and, and so they want to tie themselves back into it. And then Solomon got into all kind of overt, uh, basically, witchcraft toward the end of his life. Uh, he sa- it said that, that he had, um, the Bible says that, that, that he had... Um, places where he worshipped to Moloch and Shun, and these were, were gods that required child sacrifice. And then, and then all these women, these basically thousand women that he were with, and the first mistake he made was marrying the Pharaoh's daughter, they drew his heart away from God, and then they drew him into all their pagan religions. And all these pagan religions uh, were committing all kinds of abominations, and this is why I believe that they refer to the seal of Solomon and not the star of David because I don't believe there is so much such thing as a star of David but the seal of Solomon which is what we refer to as the hexagram and the star the Bible talks about the star of your god Rempham in Acts when Stephen rebuked the Jews what was that star? it was a hexagram okay and that's again that's a that's another study that we've actually done in the past and I'll, I'll be putting these online as, as I can get them uploaded into uh, sermon audio but these are things that all tie together so a lot of times I like to try to mention them because they are important because every, it ties everything together the masons are very very obsessed with getting the temple rebuilt okay and not because they want to glorify Christ that's for sure in fact David Bay has a whole article entitled Fervent Masonic Desire to Rebuild Solomon's Temple is the Driving Force Behind the Events of the Mideast Today. So, see, the Masons, as much as anyone, and if you look at the Freemasons, really, if you want to know what the religion of the seven-year tribulation is going to be, it's going to be witchcraft, it's going to be paganism, and the Bible says the Antichrist will cause craft to prosper. He will be the speaker of dark sentences. This is in Daniel it says this. He'll cause craft. What kind of craft? Arts and crafts? No. Witchcraft. He'll cause craft to prosper. So, this is something we should be on the lookout for. The Freemasons is basically one of the purest forms of repackaged Babylonian mystery religions. Like the way we started out the Tower of Babel when everybody was split up. Well, the Freemasons, what they've done is they've brought all these things that were split and they've brought them back all into one system. Um, that's why the Shriners take their oath on the Quran. And then they'll, they'll have the Bible. You'll take your, your, uh, you can also take an oath on, on the Masonic Bible if you're in the lower degrees of the Scottish or York Rite. There's all kinds of, of things where they interweave other religions in there. This is what we're going to go, be going back to, a conglomeration of all world religions, most likely under the Catholic Church, because they're the most set up to do this, and they don't have a problem doing it anyway, because they're the, they're the highest um, level pagan system, really, in the world. So you got to understand, 
who who was also wanting this very very badly the masons okay so why would you want to be yoked up if all of these these pagans are wanting this the masons and you've got now the the, the uh, um um, the, the, the sect of Judaism wanting this and you've got a lot now of the Hebrew Roots movement and the Pentecost why would you want to yoke yourself up wouldn't you at least want to take a look at that a little closer and say well you know if they all want this and they're not even saved and they're ungodly and they're all going to hell and I mean I don't want them to go to hell I pray to God they get saved but the fact remains is that's where they're going and their religious system that they're in is seeking to take more people to hell why do I want to yoke up with them the Bible says be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what communion hath righteousness with unrighteousness or Christ with Belial Belial being like the devil wherefore come out from among them and be separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you so this is in 2 Corinthians 6 so these are things that we really want to look at um, be very very careful who you yoke up with because even if the organization you're yoking up with or the organization you're giving money to if you're yoking up with them in these types of ways don't think it won't affect you spiritually because it will affect you spiritually if the head is sick the body will be sick if you're part of the body and the head which is which is guiding you is sick don't think it won't affect you it has to affect you this is why I'm so against the 501c3 churches because I don't believe it's of God you can say obey the law of the land all day long. But I don't see one church in the New Testament ever that got incorporated in order to comply with the laws of the state, in order to appease the state. I don't see it anywhere. I don't see one church in the New Testament that ever did that. I saw a lot of persecution. I saw a lot of people dying. I saw a lot of people being beheaded because they refused. I mean, Paul Bunyan refused to take a license. These types of things. So, I, I, I just think it's a very dangerous thing to yoke up with these systems. And this article goes on to end by saying, We are witnessing a continuation of the drive started many years ago by groups like the Temple Mount Faithful to restore the Temple to the Temple Mount. And this will ultimately succeed because one of the reasons it will, because the Illuminized Freemasonry is fully behind the plan. Well, God's going to let it succeed. He's going to let it. I mean, God's, God's on the throne. Nothing's going to take him by surprise. Now, since we're on this subject, I'm going to also... Uh, I've had a guy emailing me, named Steve, about the, the uh, Muslims. And um, he's got some good stuff he's been emailing me. And I've been emailing him more stuff back from a Christian standpoint on the Muslims and quoting from their unholy book called the Quran. And I found this this week, and this is called... It was entitled... The oath of a Shriner. Okay? What is the oath a Shriner takes? Now see, this was the thing that was so whitewashed and diabolical about what... It was the history of the Discovery Channel put on the other night about the Masons. Because it was a two-hour thing. It was really long. The, the problem is, is they didn't... They, didn't they, they, they took you through the seemingly benign initiation of this third degree of this mason about Hiram Abiff and all this stuff but what they didn't do is they didn't let you see the blood oath that he took in order to get initiated into the degree where you know these blood oaths are basically things like well we'll, we'll you know 
if we violate any of, of, of the trust of our fellow Masons, you know, we agree to have our bowels ripped out and our brains exposed to the sun and these types of things. And people wouldn't believe this stuff, but this is actually what is said. They didn't get into any of that. You know, I guarantee you that would have put a whole different twist on um, this documentary, which was obviously biased and slanted toward placing the Freemasons in a positive light. Freemasons are pagans. That's pagan religion, 101, in one of its purest forms, if the truth be known. So, what is the oath of a Shriner? Candidates for induction into the Shriners are greeted by a high priest, who says, quote, By the existence of Allah, and the creed of Muhammad, by the legendary sanctity of our tabernacle at Mecca, we greet you. Now, this is how they get greeted. Now, oh, Allah? That's the moon god. It's not God the Father, like the Muslims would say. Allah is the, the moon god. The crescent moon. You ever see the crescent moon on the flag? The Muslim, well, that's what that's representative of, the moon god, Allah. What Muhammad did a long time ago is, um, at Mecca, which is the holiest site, it's either the first or site, I think it's the first in in. Uh, they have a, uh, it's a, it's a, looks like a black square building. And what Muhammad did is he actually went into this black square building, evidently because he was told to do this, and he destroyed every one of the idols that was in this thing. Because at that time, the, the uh, Islamic religion had a lot of different idols they worshipped. They had tons, hundreds. He destroyed every one of them. But when he came to this one, he didn't destroy it. And it's a little stone idol with a crescent moon on its chest. I've actually seen pictures of this. And that's when the Muslims declared Allah, which was the name of the moon god, that he didn't destroy. That's when their whole religion was geared toward worshipping this one deity. So see, they can call themselves monotheistic, like the Christians are. Oh, we worship one god. It's the same god that you worship. No, it's not the same god. It's a devil. It's most likely a fallen angel. A lot of people call it a demon. I think there's a difference. It's most likely a fallen angel. And his name is Allah. He's the moon god. Okay? He's a devil. Is all it, all it is. So this is how this all starts out. This oath of a shriner. By the existence of Allah and the creed of Muhammad, by the legendary sanctity of our tabernacle at Mecca, we greet you. I mean, what an abomination right off the bat. You know? The inductees then swear on the Bible and the Quran... In the name of Muhammad. So, oh boy, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, the Bible says. The Bible and the Quran? How can a fountain yield both fresh and salt water, as the Bible says? It can't. What an abomination to God. I mean, it would be better to just do it on the Quran, I think. Because at least then you're not bringing anything about Christianity. I think they have the Bible there just to maybe appease the people that maybe are coming into the Shriners to say, oh, well, you know, this is still Christian. We just mix a little of the other in. Uh, the devil loves it. I mean, I think the devil just loves it. So the, the inductees swear in the Bible and the Quran in the name of Muhammad. And then invoke, and that's a good word, invoke. Because when you invoke something, you typically think of witchcraft invoking a spell. Then they invoke masonry's usual gruesome penalties upon themselves. Now let's hear about the oath. What is the exact oath they have to repeat? Here it is. Quote, I do hereby upon this Bible and on the mysterious legend of the Quran, and it is a legend, it's a false legend, 
and its dedication to the Muhammadan faith, which would be Islam, promise and swear and vow that I will never reveal any secret part or portion whatsoever of the ceremonies. And now upon this sacred book, by the sincerity of the Muslim oath, <laughs> I here register this irrevocable vow, meaning you can't revoke it. That, if something's irrevocable, you can't revoke it, you can't go back, it's done. Now the Bible says, Jesus says, above all, swear not. Either by heaven or, or, or by earth. Or the, he goes through the whole thing. Jesus said that. He says, above all, swear not. Why? So we wouldn't get ourselves in this type of situation. If they would just... If we would just go by that, we wouldn't get ourselves into these situations where we would swear something like this. But here, here goes this vow. This is the irrevocable vow. In willful violation whereof of this vow, may I incur the fearful penalty of having my eyeballs pierced to the center with a three-edged blade, my feet flayed, and be forced to walk the hot sands upon the sterile shores of the Red Sea until the flaming sun shall strike me with livid plague. And may Allah, the God of Arab, Muslim, and Mohammedan, the God of our fathers, which is a lie from the pit of hell, support me to the entire fulfillment of the same. Amen, amen, amen. That's their, that's their blood oath for the Shriners. I had never read the blood oath of the Shriners until I read this. So, they're going to agree to have their eyeballs pierced to the center with a three-edged blade. Their feet flayed would be like having the bottom of your feet just flayed open with a knife and then forced to walk on the hot sands upon the sterile shores of the Red Sea. I didn't know the Red Sea had sterile shores. Uh, that's an interesting point there. Anyway, so yeah, this is this is their their nice oath. With this oath, Christians swear on the Quran and declare Allah to be the God of their fathers. So, you know, I, I don't see how anybody with any semblance of sense could do this and be a, and call themselves a Christian. I guess if you're going to a really really lukewarm, weak church, you're not studying the Bible, you've been you've got under the spell, because this is a spell. Every degree you go up, it's like you're taking on more devils. You're taking on more delusion and blindness. Every one of these blood oaths, which Jesus says don't do, every one of them you agree to do, you're taking on more demonic baggage. Oh, now you're getting Pentecostal. Well, I don't care. You are. The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood, but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. So see, these are the things that we're battling. But so much of Christianity doesn't want to talk about it. Or then they go off the total deep end, the other side, like the Pentecostals, and then it's like, they go too far with it. And they actually open themselves up to the very things they say they're fighting. And again, that's a whole other study. But if we go further in this, now this is an excerpt from The Origins and Influence of Masonry by Lee Penn, um, this shows a picture of a, um, or of a of a reserved spark parking spot for a Shriner in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And in this picture, I'm looking at a one of their res, red fez little hats with the little tassels, with the, you know the whole um, with the whole saber, the, the curved saber blade, like you would think somebody from the Arab worlds would wield, and then under it is hanging a crescent moon with a star in the middle. 
Now that's the symbol of the Shriners. A crescent moon with a star in it. And in the middle of the crescent moon, they've even got the picture of a, of a, uh, of like King Tut. Now, what does the crescent moon and the star, well that is the symbol of Islam. What does that represent? That represents in its pure fo- purest form, um, Semiramis and Nimrod. Okay? How does that mean? The crescent moon is representative of the female deity, the female demonic deity. The star is representative of the male deity. What that's representative of is basically fornication. Because you've got the crescent moon, and inside the crescent moon is the star. The crescent moon is, 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 is in essence, the female deity, but it's also representative of the female sexual organ to be honest, okay? The star is within the middle of the crescent moon, okay? So, this is why also the skull, the, uh, the square and compass of the masons are intertwined. It's, it's symbolic of the female representation of the male and female uh, sexual joint. That's what that's representative of, okay? So, just so you know, that, that's what that's representative of, and, and I think that's important. Um, so, this guy... His name is Stanley M. Wagner. This I'm looking at the thing on his reserved parking space in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It says, he's got a picture of the silver red pheasant. It says, High Priest and Prophet. Stanley M. Wagner. He's a Shriner. This article goes on to say, Of which God do you suppose he is Prophet and High Priest of? <laughs> Please, it's not the God of the Bible. It's the fallen angel Allah. Encarta Encyclopedia identifies the red hat called a fez as a Muslim symbol. The red represents the blood of the Christian saints that were murdered in Fez, Morocco in the 8th century. Now this is how they get the red fez. When the Muslims invaded that city, Fez, Morocco, in the 8th century and forced the inhabitants to renounce Jesus and confess Allah as God and Muhammad as their prophet. Now what they did is they, they murdered these Christians and they took their hats, their fezes, and they, and they dipped them in the blood of the Christians and that's how they became red. That's what this article leaves out. That's why the Shriners wear a red fez. It, it was symbolic of the blood that was on the fezes, these hats, that the Muslims, when they slew, when they slew the uh, Christians in the 8th century. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that just a wonderful Christian symbol? Interesting to note, that as a mason who claims to be Christian and swears his oath to become a shriner, willfully confesses Allah as God and Muhammad as the prophet, while the saints who went before them were slain for rejecting this act of treason against the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's pretty ironic. Now this other one, it shows the outer uh, sign on this one particular, I think it's the same temple, and it says Alhambra, and a lot of their hats say Alhambra, on them, these red fezes actually say. In fact, I'm, this one guy has it on his too. Alhambra, the name for this for this shrine or temple, was the fortress of the Moorish kings in the 13th and 14th centuries. The Moors were Muslims from North Africa who conquered the Iberian Peninsula of the 8th century, and were also the same inhabitants of Morocco who killed the Christians in the Battle um, of um, of Fez, Morocco. These were the same ones. So then they take on that name too, Alhambra. After this, after the land was recaptured by Hispanic Christians, all professed Muslims were expelled. Now this that was from Webster's Encyclopedia, actually, where I just read that last quote from. So it's not really a point of 
huge debate here. You know, it's 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 just a it's it's a historical fact. It's just that again, my my people were destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, I, I personally don't believe you could be a Freemason, a Shriner, and be a Christian. I, it's not possible. I just do not. Believe. I just don't see how if the Holy Spirit lives inside you that you could go into that thing and stay in that thing and not have a problem with all of the anti-biblical things that go on. How is that possible? Now, this next part we're going to go into, it's where does the money from the Shriner surfaces really go? Oh, yeah, the wonderful Shriners. Well, can't we just overlook all this, Brother Johnson? Because, you know, they do so much good for the little kitties. Give me a break. Shriners are well known for their famous circuses, where they claim to raise money for their burn hospitals. It's a little known fact that they are really using the burn hospitals to accumulate great wealth for themselves. Well, isn't the love of money the root of all evil? And we know this is evil. We know it's evil. I mean, I think we've just seen enough here to know it's pretty overt. In June of 1986, a daily newspaper in Florida, the Orlando Sentinel, published a report on the Shrine Hospital. Now, this is from the Orlando Sentinel. I looked at the article. It was referenced in everything. It was archived and referenced. Now, this is what the Orlando Sentinel, This you can't accuse them of having a Christian bias because no, Christian, no newspaper in America has a Christian bias. Not any mainstream one, at least. 98% of the money that the Shriners raised in these circuses was not going to the hospitals. 98% of the money that the Shriners are raising is not going to these hospitals. It went to the Shriners for their parties. Why not? 98% went to their little cars, their little boats, and their little and their temples, and their little hats and stuff. 2% went to the hospitals. You know, they keep their hats under a glass thing um, in their house. It's like, it looks like a glass cake dish almost, where you keep a cake under. And they actually, it's like an idol. It's like an idol that they actually have in their house. Now, I received another um, email when I sent this out from a, from a Christian brother. And he came back to me and he said that he had worked in the circus a long time ago. I think this is probably before he was even a Christian. And he said that it was well known in the circuses what kind of people that the Shriners were. You know, and, and you know, just the whole thing with the booze and the, and the uh, womanizing, a lot of things that went along with this that were concealed under the veneer of this wonderful uh, organization, supposedly organ, organ, wonderful organization that was just helping the little kids out. You know, it's all a lie though. That's the problem. The Orlando Sentinel estimates from available records they show that the Shrine Hospitals in 1984 received just 1% or 182,000 of an estimated 17.5 million in profits from about 175 shrine circuses. 1%. Only one of the 76 temples for which the IRS records were available reported contributing any circus money to the hospital system. Only one? That's what it says. This is in, in this article, if you email me, if you want to know more about this. Now my email address, if you're in Sermon Audios, is on top of the uh, of my webpage there. You can email me and I'll email this to you. Just, just let me know. But you can read the whole article. And I went and I went into it and it's all archived. It's all, it's, this is not biased information, you know. 
So while appealing to the compassion of the general public, using crippled children as debate, these men have found a very profitable business through the covering through the covering of these hospitals. If you would like to know where your Shriner donations are going, look at the shrines, the temples that they have. Harley Davidson's, their go-karts, jewelry, and the cars they drive. Are they using are they any different than the covetous TV prosperity preachers that are using an honorable and charitable cause in order to fatten their own pocketbook? Nope. Not one bit. And they have this little they have this little billboard here that says this picture of a Shriner with a kid and it says Shriners helping themselves to the children's fund. Call one eight hundred Shyster. I'd be great if they start putting those things out. You know, one day, very soon, all this is going to come out. At the Great Right Throne Judgment, a lot of stuff at the Judgment Seat of Christ, a lot of the stuff is going to come out. Well, it's all going to come out. There's nothing that's, that's hidden that won't be made, you know, the Bible even says that. So, uh, that's why it's so important to repent of your sins now in this life. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged of God. Now, this is in reference to really a Christian. If, if you're judging yourself as a non-Christian, you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ to pay your sin debt. So that, it's still not going to work that way. You could live a very upright, morally nice life. That's still not going to get you into heaven. So, prerequisite is getting saved first. And then if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged of God. So, I think about that verse a lot because, personally, I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. And... I try um, and encourage other people to judge themselves, but it's hard to do because we always want to... The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 2, it says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. So see, we have a tendency to, to be clean in our own eyes. Well, I'm not that bad. That other guy's a lot worse than me, but that's not how God looks at things. And that's why we have to be very careful about these, these types of things. Um, so, moving on to our next thing. Uh, I wanted just to read this real quick. I thought it was pretty appropriate. Um, this is this is entitled "Becoming Illegal." This is an actual letter to the Iowa from an Iowa resident to Senator Tom Harkin, and they've got this whole letterhead and everything up here. It says, Dear Senator Harkin, as a native Hawaiian, Iowan, he's from Iowa, an excellent customer of the Internal Revenue Service, I am writing you to ask for your assistance. I have contacted the Department of Homeland Security in an effort to determine the process for becoming an illegal alien, and they referred me to you. My primary reason for wishing to change my status from U.S. citizen to a legal alien, to an illegal alien, stems from the bill which was recently passed by the Senate, and for which you voted. I think we should write letters this way. I love the way the guy this did did this. If my understanding of this bill's provisions are accurate, as an illegal alien who has been in the United States for five years, all I need to do is is to become a citizen, is to pay a two thousand dollar fine and income taxes for three of the last five years. I know a good deal when I see one. And I am anxious to get this process started before everyone figures it out. Simply put, those of us who have been here legally have had to pay taxes every year. So I am excited about the prospect of avoiding taxes for two years. 
um, and just paying this paltry $2,000 fine. Is there any way I can apply to be an illegal retroactively? This would yield an excellent result for me and my family because we paid heavy taxes in 2004 and 2005. Additionally, as an illegal alien, I could begin using the local emergency room as my primary health care provider. Once I have stopped paying premiums for medical insurance, my account figures, I could save almost $10,000 a year. Say, hey, we don't have to pay medical insurance either. Isn't that a great deal? Another benefit in gaining the legal alien status would be that my daughter would receive preferential treatment relative to her law school applications, as well as in-state tuition rates for many colleges throughout the United States and for my son. Lastly, I understand that illegal, my illegal alien status would relieve me of the burden of renewing my driver's license and making those burdensome car insurance premiums. This is very important to me, given that I still have college-age children driving my car. If you would provide me with an outline of the process of becoming an illegal alien, retroactively if possible, and copies of the necessary forms, I would be most appreciative. Thank you for your assistance. Your loyal constituent, Donald Rupert, Burlington, Iowa. So yeah, he wrote this to them. I, you know, it, it's insane. There's so much I hate to say I despise about this country. It's so there's there's hypocrisy that goes on in this country that I don't think you could compare to any place on the planet. There's 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 so much calling good evil and evil good in this country. And the Bible says, "Woe unto them." They call evil good and good evil. They put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They put darkness for light and light for darkness. And we do that so much and we're so brainwashed and it's just past us. It's just the way it is. And it's it's hypocrisy like, you know, I can't even conceive of. Moving on here. Uh, this is a... a uh, publication I received from um, Pro-Life, Life Dynamics Incorporated. They're one of the most aggressive groups that really goes after the um, abortion industry. And the guy that heads it up is a guy named Mark Crutcher. And um, he uh, he's going after these guys pretty, pretty strongly. He had a uh, They've really, they've really gathered irrefutable evidence that the American abortion industry is operating a nation, nationwide pedophile protection ring. And why, they, why they're saying that is because what's happening is, according to their statistics, uh, and they've actually got indictments now on these people, um, these indictments are based on record subpoenas from, from this guy named uh, Tiller. He's a Kansas abortionist. Um and showed that the overwhelming majority of abortions were performed on patients who were between 12 and 28 weeks pregnant, which is way into it. However, two of these charges involved patients who were 31 weeks pregnant at the time of these procedures. In what is probably the most troubling incident, count three of the indictment is based on an abortion Tiller performed in July of 2003 on a 10-year-old girl who was 28 weeks pregnant. What a stinking abomination. Yeah. Um, and in addition, not one of these records indicated any physical health problems that either the mom or the baby had. In every case, the justification given for the killing was killing the baby was either stress or depression. 
So that's how they justify killing these babies. In short, according to Killer's own files, these were purely elective third trimester abortions performed on healthy moms, sounds like healthy children, to destroy healthy babies. And in most cases, they were performed on minor children. Now see, why do they say it's a nationwide pedophile protection week? Because these pedophiles are getting these little girls pregnant, and then what they're doing is they're taking these little girls to get abortions. So it's a, it's a pedophile, and, and, and the abortion companies are looking the other way. They're like, oh, okay, we don't see the fact that you're, you know, 50 years old or 40 years old, and you got a 10-year-old pregnant. We're going to look the other way on that. It's so stinking sick. Is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with one of the highest abominations in God's eyes. So, see, there's so much more to the abortion industry, and it is an industry driven by business, than just what meets the eye. The whole Roots of Planned Parenthood by Margaret Sanger, and, and what a reprobate witch she was. And when I say witches, I mean this literally, because it's a proven fact that there's many, many abortion clinics that are actually owned by people heavily immersed and involved in the occult. Now, why would they want to do this? Because they view these sacrifices of these aborted babies as sacrifices to their gods that they worship. Many times sacrifices to the fertility goddess. Isn't that ironic? These fertility goddesses that they worship like Ishtar and Hecti and Aphrodite and these types of goddesses Diana actually promise fertility but many many times in the same breath require the sacrifice of the baby that's a whole other study but this is the, the hypocrisy that goes on in this industry so it's really what it's set up to do is protect the pedophiles that are getting these little girls pregnant um, I, I just, I really, it's one of the things I pray about, that God would just absolutely, utterly, totally destroy the abortion industry. And that without remedy. There's no good in it. There, there, it it's a pure abomination. And the blood of that innocent blood is, is crying out from the land, as Abel's blood does. And it's bringing a curse, and it, it has been, and it is, and it will continue as long as it would go on, to bring a curse upon this nation, upon this world. And it's no wonder we're in such delusion, and such blind delusion in this country, when you could condone what goes on here. Um, it's no wonder. I mean, God is not going to let a nation that does what we do in this country go on in truth. We're not going to operate in truth if we're, letting, if we're winking at these types of things and letting this go on and not doing or saying anything about it. He's going to give us over to this strong delusion, for the most part, that this nation will believe a lie. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to happen to other parts of the world. I just think it's what's going on here, in God's eyes, is more hypocritical than what a lot of other nations that are just almost overtly pagan is happening. Um, this next article they had was the, uh, the Baby Mart Designers and deformers. Now, I hadn't even heard some of the information in this. Pro-lifers and bioethicists have long warned that we were headed toward the day when people would order babies like they order a new car. This is the day we're at right now. In this brave new world, abortion, alter genetics, in vitro fertilization, frozen embryos, and a myriad of other Frankenstein-like scientific advances will allow us to speck out 
perfect designer babies to suit every need. Men and women will no longer be mere parents, but informed and enlightened consumers. At the same time, babies will be transformed into a product whose value is not intrinsic, but only determined by what they can do for those who order them. Apparently, we cannot stop predicting that such an environment will one day exist because it's already here. In San Antonio, Texas, a company called Abraham Center of Life is now offering off-the-shelf embryos for a single woman and infertile couples. Off-the-shelf embryos. Consumers make their selection after reviewing information about the egg and sperm donor of the baby they are thinking about buying. This data includes race, educational background, personality type, physical appearance, and other relevant characteristics. Consumers are also allowed to see pictures of the donors at various times of their lives. For consumers, for customers who are unwilling or unable to carry the child, the company will arrange for services of a surrogate mom. I mean, there's a lot of biblical precedent for all this. See, people say, well, how dare you say speak against this? Well, show me the biblical precedent for, for, for playing God like this. <laughs> Unbelievable. The company's founder, Jenna Lee Ryan, rejects the charge that she is ushering in the creation of a master race. However, her center requires that egg donors have at least some college education and sperm donors must have advanced postgraduate degrees. Postgraduate degrees? Neither can have a criminal background. I mean, I was just... There was a uh, documentary on recently. One of the finest documentaries I've ever seen on the occult roots of the Third Reich. And it's not the one that we had... It's a new one. And I, I tell you, it's unbelievable. Every, you talked about Third Reich was so steeped in paganism. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. Hitler and all the people he surrounded himself with were, were totally entrenched in witchcraft. Heinrich Himmler and all these guys, and, and their eugenics programs, and they had this, this, it was called the Lebensborn program, where they actually had SS troops. Now, at one time, under Heinrich Himmler, the SS troops were three million strong. Now, in order to be an SS troop, you had to have, meet a minimum height requirement of five foot nine inches tall. You had to make sure you could trace your lineage back to a genuine um, uh, Germanic lineage back to 1750 of a pure bloodline. There could be no interbreeding. You couldn't have blemishes on your body. You had to, um, there, there couldn't be any kind of physical defects. There was a rigorous screening program that they had. And um, a lot of it was, was lineage and it was all in the bloodlines. Now, if you remember, all the, the things that involve in the high level occult circles is always about bloodlines. The bloodlines of the Illuminati, the bloodlines of the Merovingian bloodline, and now this thing with the Holy Grail and, and, and how Jesus' bloodline came up through this, the, the Merovingian princes and stuff. And this is this lie we see in the Da Vinci Code and this new, this new uh, documentary in the Lost Tomb of Jesus, these types of things. It always revolves around the bloodline. And um, these Germans were just unbelievable about making sure that they were breeding. What they were trying to get is the Aryan Superman. They wanted to breed this Aryan godlike race, which they believed ultimately they were trying to get back to their roots in the Aryan nations. So they they were they were absolutely obsessed with this bloodline. 
and um, it's it's no mystery that, that this was the case. And they had these these um, what they what they encouraged the SS troops to do is actually these breeding programs that they had, where they actually would encourage polygamy, and they would have the the women that they would breed them to. These were almost always arranged marriages, and the women would have to also prove their ancestry back. I believe 1750, and, and prove that they were. And they also had to look a certain way. Their head had to be a certain way. And see, this is why they they condemn the Jews because they they believe the Jews' physical characteristics, they believe they were most likely closest to the ape than any other. And this is where we get the whole tie-in of Charles Darwin. And when you believe that you ultimately evolved from a, from, um, from a rock that, that basically then evolved into green slime and then evolved into a two-celled amoeba and then that evolved into some type of amphibian being and that ultimately evolved into a monkey and that ultimately evolved into us. When you believe that, well... You know, anything goes pretty much. It's it's okay to kill all these people because they're they're an inferior race, and there's no there's no compassion on them because it's no big shake. Just kill them, and that's why they could justify and how they could justify killing all these other races. But what they would do is when they went in other countries, they would actually pull the ones that looked like they had a Nordic or an Aryan look to them. They would pull them out, and they would actually pull them into these SS families, and. Uh, um, it was ironic, and they showed these these birthing um, centers under the under the title of Lebensborn, where they I mean it was like all these rooms just full of babies, and they, the mothers were nowhere to be found when they had these babies. You know, this is another good point was just brought up. These women they, they were breeders, they were brood mothers, is what they referred to them as. And they told these brood mothers there was no shame because there wasn't enough SS guys to go around because they were the top of the top of the top. So it says, but they told these brood mothers there was no shame in doing what you're doing. Even though you're having a child out of wedlock, you're going to give it back to the state. You're going to give it back to the fatherland. Well, this is under the guise of this eugenics program. So they had this one super race they were trying to, to create. And then at the same time, they had all these other people they were exterminating. Well, this it reminds me of what we're talking about today in this. I mean, are we coming back to this? And I believe we are. Um, getting back to this article, uh, responding to the claim that she and her clients are making decisions based on IQ points and physical appearance. Now, this is the lady that owns this this um, uh, this designer baby factory where she's selling babies when. When she was, when these accusations were leveled against her, she told the Washington Post that if I do discriminate, it's that I only want healthy, intelligent people. End of quote. Meanwhile, some people with physical handicaps are insisting. Now, this is really weird to me. I don't know. There's some people with physical handicaps. They're insisting that they too be allowed to design their own babies. To this group of people, perfect means a baby with the same handicap they have. A survey published in the medical journal Fertility and Sterility found at least four embryo screening clinics in the U.S. that admit to having assisted people in creating what they call deformed, deformer babies. Instead of designer babies, they got now they've got deformer babies. Children with disabilities specifically requested by the parents. To date, it appears that the most common reason for using this technology is to create babies that are either deaf or dwarfs. Why would you want to do this to your own child? Because why? Because you're miserable and you want them to be miserable too? 
I don't. I'm sorry. I don't understand that. Now, if it happens, it happens. But to create, I mean, dwarfs. If you've ever seen that show, Little People, Big World, on on TLC, which shows this family of dwarfs, okay, and it's pretty benign show. I mean, it is interesting to watch it. I sure wouldn't want to be one of them. I'm sorry. I mean, I feel sorry for them. I have compassion. I want them to get saved. But I wouldn't want to be one, and I wouldn't want to subject my kid to be one. They don't have very long lives. They have all kinds of physical problems. Why would you want that for your child? That's sadistic. I'll probably have some mad dwarf email on me now. I don't know. But I'm sorry. I I don't understand that. To me, it seems sadistic. You know? One deaf lesbian couple, one deaf lesbian couple, Sharon Duchesnay, I think I got her name right, and Candy McCullough. Oh, good, are they lesbians? Great. Yeah, they're lesbians. So, they're a lesbian couple, even better. Okay. They say they wanted a baby, they chose a particular sperm donor because he was deaf and came from a family of five generations of deafness. Why would you want to deprive your child of a sense? That's really nice. That's just lovely. Uh, that is sick. But but these two lesbians have made it clear they will not allow the little boy to be fitted with a hearing aid. The baby was born with residual hearing in one ear, but they won't let him have a hearing aid for that one ear. How stinking sick. What, you got a couple of miserable lesbians and they want to make their kid miserable? I mean, I, I can't see any other motivation. In the past, whenever the issue of a sex selection abortion was brought up, pro-lifers were ridiculed for suggesting that they represented some kind of slippery slope. But now, these two lesbians are openly stating that they use that their use of technology to create a deaf child is no different than, than someone using technology to get a baby of the desired gender. Going down the deformer baby trail raises some interesting and probably unanswerable philosophical questions. Perhaps the most troubling is whether a line can ever be drawn. If a blind couple discovers that an unborn child is sighted, do they have the right to assist to their doctor to do something to cause the child to be blind? If not, why not? After all, they could have it legally killed through abortion if they so chose. What about mental disorders? Does a schizophrenic mom have the right to turn her mentally healthy unborn baby into a schizophrenic? Again, if, if, if not, why not? Who gets to design the perfectness scale? When dwarfs, Kara and Gibson Reynolds were criticized because they were considering using embryo screen to create a child who was also a dwarf, an outraged Kara, this dwarf, replied, quote, you cannot tell me that I cannot have a child who's going to look like me, end of quote. You're sick. You're stinking sick. That's what I think about her. Then in an astonishing perversion of logic, she went on to attack people who opposed the intentional creation of deformer babies, claiming they are playing God. No, 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 wrong, Mrs. Dwarf Lady, I'm sorry. You're the one playing God when you say that. When you're basically saying, I'm going to have a baby, it's going to look just like me, he's going to have all the physical problems I'm going to have, all the physical challenges, because I want it that way. You're playing God, because you want it that way. Reminds me of the devil. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend into the sides of the north. 
You know, when, when, it, when it comes down to the I-I, you always get in trouble. It's called the God of self-centeredness. And when you get self-centered, you don't see very clearly anymore. You just get focused on self. And that's what these people are. I mean, what an abomination. The reality is, at the moment, America decided that it was acceptable to create designer babies. It became impossible to oppose to former babies. Kind of a good point. They are opposite sides of the same coin. It is as legitimate for a deaf person to consider a hearing child imperfect as it is for a normal person to consider a Down syndrome child imperfect. It is also true that the lesbians cited above are correct that artificially creating a deaf child is no different than artificially creating a boy instead of a girl. The underlying problem is legal abortion transformed babies from being full and valued members of the human family into a commodity that we can either choose or unchoose just like we choose or unchoose a brand of toothpaste to buy. See, that's the problem. It started there with the abortion. Now look where it's leading. You know, and, and there and it's I mean Holland's a great example because they're, you know, over there, they're killing little babies if they're not right after they're born. And they're also doing a lot with the um, whole uh, what's that called where they where they kill the elderly? Yeah. They're doing a lot with euthanasia. So hey hey Gramps, sorry, you're not you're not telling a line, buddy, we're gonna have to snuff you out. You know, and then they got every other perversion going on in between of that thing over there in Holland. But see, that's a template for the world, Holland. Uh, that's what it's going to be like. Uh, until we correct that, as far as the abortion industry, things far worse than prefabbed embryos and deformed babies are on the way. And, and it is on the way. Oh, it is on the way. It may be frightening to contemplate, but we are not even close to the bottom of this slippery slope. And see, there's a guy that specializes in this named... Um, Back from Raiders News, Tom Horn, and he talks a lot about what they call transgenics, which is basically where we're taking species of other animals and combining them with human embryos. And we're, we're getting actually what they call chimeras. That's what they're referred to as chimeras. Chimeras, when you you can actually take through gene splicing and things of this nature, we have this technology, and we can actually make. Um, all kind of, of just abominations in the sight of God. I mean, you know, it, the Bible says you shall bring forth after your own kind, after your own kind. Even they talked about that with the plants and the things of this and the species and the animals. And now we're starting to cross-combine things. And, and um, I guarantee you, well, think about it. But if you think, of, if you go back to Genesis six. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was the greatest earmark in the days of the son in the days of Noah? Well, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they came down and took, took of them wives all that they chose. And in those days were giants in the land. And he repented God that he had even created man, it says. That's Genesis 6. Well, what were they doing? The fallen angels left their first estate and were combining their DNA with humans, which is an abomination in the sight of God. This is why God ultimately had to destroy the planet, save a people, Noah, in the ark. The seed had been corrupted. We're talking about the seed here. When we're dealing with aborted babies and creating designer babies and deformer babies and this transeugenics and all the stuff that's coming down the line. We're playing God. We're combining different types of seeds that were never meant to be combined, ever. And it's obviously a pretty big, gigantic abomination in God's eyes if he had to wipe out the whole earth the first time this happened. 
And if you think about it, that's why he had to wipe out the whole earth. Because of this very reason. The seeds, the seed had been corrupted. Why is it when Joshua went into the promised land that they have to wipe out whole cities of, of animals, children, adults, everything. Everything was cursed. They couldn't even take an object out of the city, like Jericho. And when they did, it brought a whole curse on the camp. Why was that? I believe it's because the thing had been so demonically corrupted. The seed had been corrupted. There were giants in the, in the land of the promised land days. Many of these cities they came were they were giants. I mean, it said that. It says we were as grasshoppers in their sight. So, we know the same thing was going on there. Those whole cities had to be wiped out just the same way that the, that the flood wiped out everybody on the earth because the seed had been corrupted. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. No, actually, Jesus Christ said that in the Bible. So we know those days are coming again. Well, it also says that it's in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the day. Well, yeah, true. Sodom and Gomorrah. We got that going on too. But we've got both dynamics going on, okay, in this country. And this is a subject, you know, you can't even hardly talk about in Christian circles. You go, oh no, now you're getting just nutty. You can't talk about no aliens, you can't talk about none of that. No, no. Well, how are you going to give an answer? Well, let me ask you a question. Why do you think they're shoving all this down our throats with these alien abductions and all the alien shows and all the things that we're seeing? Don't you think there may be a purpose behind this ultimately? Don't you think that the devil's going to come with all lying signs and wonders and do many miracles and if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived? Why does the Bible say all these things if they're not going to come to pass? Don't you want to be able to give an answer for the hope that is within you? And, and, and an answer for all these deceptions that are coming upon the world and are here right now? Don't you want to have an answer? Do we want to be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage of us? 2 Corinthians 2.11 Do you want to be ignorant of his device? Do you want to be destroyed for lack of knowledge? According to Hosea 4.6 My children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then it goes on to say Because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee and thou shalt be a priest to me no more. And I will also reject thy children. There's a very severe potential penalty for rejecting true knowledge if God is trying to show you something. And, and there's a lot in this world that we're being exposed to now where we could be destroyed for lack of knowledge. Granted, the ultimate way of being destroyed for lack of knowledge is rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and burning in hell and then ultimately the lake of fire for eternity. That's ultimately the, the, the main way people will be destroyed for lack of knowledge. But there's other ways you can be destroyed for lack of knowledge too. The analogy that I've given, I've given in the past because I had a person tell me one time and re rebuke me that that verse, Hosea 4, 6, only applies to the gospel. That's it. Okay, whatever. Show me that biblically. Let me ask you a question. If I give you a poison glass of orange juice and you do not know it's poison and you drink the orange juice and you die, were you not just destroyed for lack of knowledge? Now, you could still be saved and go to heaven, but you died for drinking poison orange juice. Weren't you just destroyed for lack of not? So see, there's other ways. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. And, and, and that's all I'm trying to say there. So, um, we've got that dynamic going on. And, uh, this is a, uh, the last, last trumpet for, um, last trumpet ministries. And this is the March edition of this year. And I'm just going to read some Bible verses from, from... He always starts out with some Bible verses, and I think they're good. And there was more in heaven 
Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, and that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And this is when things are really going to step up um, during the tribulation. Because there's going to be no more place found in heaven for the devil and his angels. I uh, believe he's going to be... Uh, and he's going to try to take his wrath out on God's creation. Well, we were created in his image. The Bible says in Genesis, first chapter, it says, Come, let us make man in our image. Who's, it, who's our? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Now, many religions now will say, Oh, no, no. It's goddess. And then Father, and then Son. Just like Tammuz, Semiramis, and Nimrod. It's the pagan trinity. They have their pagan trinity. God has his holy trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. It's a good thing to know. It may seem irrelevant, but I guarantee you, if the truth be known, most of pagan religions all base their deepest core of their religions on the fact that God... There's a, there's a female deity associated with a male. Many times they portray God as androgynous, having both, or a hermaphrodite, having both male and female sex organs. They, they view the highest God as that. Well, if their God is like that, that's true. Like Baphomet, or Baal, or these types of entities. So, yes, that, that's, that's what they do deal with quite a bit. Revelation 12 15-17 says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood with the dragon, which the dragon cast out of her mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. So again, it's it's he's making war with the this dragon's making war with the remnant of her seed, this woman, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Isaiah fifty nine seventeen through twenty says, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head, and he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing, and was clad with, with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the islands will he repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. It's always about the fear of God in the Bible, if you really look at it closely, when it comes to dealing with his enemies. When the enemy shall come in like the flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, Zion, not Zion. Zion meaning Jerusalem, Mount Zion, Jerusalem. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. That was Isaiah 59, 17-20. In this issue of the last trumpet, we will examine a prevailing condition that has engulfed the entire world and is caused, and is caused by the manifestation of satanic devices. We live in a chaotic world that is unique to all history. Never it has been as it is now. People who are at least 50 years old, if they can still think after all the brainwashing they've received, 
can and should realize that this world is not the one they were born into. A great transition and metamorphosis has occurred. That we live in a world that has been seized upon by Satan and his fallen angels and demon spirits. Um, the above scriptures make that very clear. These scriptures also tell us that in the very last days, Satan would cast a flood out of his mouth, a flood of filth and deception so great, so pervasive, that it would be able to engulf the entire world. Can any thinking person doubt that this is the very case of this present time? We live in a poison society, a world where of microwave ovens and cell phones that cut can that can cause cancer it is a world where almost everything is packaged in plastics which have been proven to leach into the food and beverages and incite sex hormones and eventually cause cancer we live in an electronic smog as the evil prince of the powers of the air flood the airwaves with filth using fiber optics satellite transmissions to permeate the earth with computer generated internet filth that ensnares the entire world and the net and the world wide web it is a marketplace for hell's commerce thankfully just as the apostle went into the heathen marketplaces with the gospel so we can invade and attack the gates of the electronic hell now this is what I try to do I try to put out truth on the internet not not smart and filth okay the internet you know can be used for great evil it can also be used for great good the internet has been one of the main vehicles where people have been able to get educated in the last 15 years about a lot of the things I didn't know this stuff 15 years ago I didn't know any of this of course I wasn't saved at that point but I say about 13 years ago so well, the, the fact remains though is the internet was the main vehicle where I actually did learn about these things um, and the Bible says in Daniel it says, seal up the sun, thou Daniel, many shall run to and fro, and, and in the end times knowledge shall increase. So, uh, the Bible predicted that in the end times knowledge would increase. Many would run to and fro. Many would run to and fro also seeking the words of God, as the Bible says in Amos, and I believe that's the time we're living in, because they don't have a right Bible. They've got all their other perversion, perverted Bibles, where anything goes Bibles. They're copywritten Bibles. They're Bibles basically um, that have removed all these words and added to and taken away, and there's all these warnings in the Bible about that. Just look at the last chapter of Revelation. So, when you don't have the true words of God, you're going to get messed up. It's just a matter of time before you get messed up. Uh, it is a strange and grotesque world indeed with scalier ways, ELF ways, chemtrails, all used in weather modification at least to some extent. This new age is also a world of new sickness and pestilences and seems that almost everyone is on some type of prescription drug while new drugs come forth continually. Strangely enough, people are so desperate and deceived that they clamor for these drugs even though the list of their side effects is far worse than the problem each drug is supposed to treat. Why is that? Because we're in this Burger King mentality. We want it our way and we want it now. We're Americans. We're entitled to it, aren't we? You know all we're entitled to is hell. And I speak of myself first. Okay? Apart from the blood of Jesus Christ, the only thing I'm entitled to is hell. Period. I still think I'm entitled to it. It's just that praise God through the blood of Jesus Christ through his redemption, through his shed blood, through what he did. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And, and through that, I've appropriated salvation. Not of myself, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
going back to this article, on January 19th, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported the transatlantic group of prominent scientists moved the symbolic doomsday clock two minutes closer to midnight, or the end of the world. It is now set at five minutes before midnight. It is only the fourth time the doomsday clock has ever been moved forward since the end of the Cold War. Even the ungodly scientists seem to know that the world is coming to an end soon. They moved the clock forward for two reasons. Their own words were the world is nudging closer to nuclear apocalypse and environmental disaster. It is strange that even though they make no reference to God, they can clearly see the signs of the times. Uh, this is something I didn't know. Strange things are indeed happening in a report of State College, Pennsylvania. Our nation's honeybee industry is in deep trouble because of a mystery ailment that has already killed over 50% of the honeybees in 20 states. This also threatens crops that need bees for cross-pollination. Now, with his articles, the nice thing about his articles, he's got everything in reference. Everything's coming. I mean, it's not coming from slanted sources. These are just statistics they're putting out. Um, let's see here. Um, now, for some time now, the numerous there's numerous witch covens. Now, this man came out of witchcraft. Okay, he's a King James, born again Christian preacher now, but he came out of witchcraft, and so he has a better perspective on dealing with the witchcraft end of it than most people would. For some time now, numerous witch covens in America have been casting spells toward their astral plane, and they believe that they have the power to summon spirits to appear in the sky. They take full credit for it. On January 25th, 2007, 9-11 calls were coming all over North Carolina. Callers described fire in the sky and objects with a bluish glow. This is referenced when I'm reading you here. The same thing was happening in many other parts of the country. From Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Des Moines, Iowa to St. Louis, Missouri, a flood of 911 calls came on February 5th. 2007, reporting balls of fire all over the sky. Three days later, on February 8th, mysterious lights appeared in the sky over Phoenix, Arizona. Many witnesses said the lights were moving in formation. I have personally seen such lights moving in geometric patterns. They are certainly signs in the skies. Now again, this is going to be one of the lying signs of wonders that we're going to be getting into, that we're moving into. Um, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And, and these people are, the, the, the Christians that are going to try to defend this aren't going to have any thing to stand on. They haven't even built their house on a rock. Most of them aren't even saved. They're not reading the right Bible. They're in some corporation. And and the, the thing is, is they're going to not, they've never been educated on this by their pastor. I'm not saying, I'm not saying no pastors have ever done this, but I'm talking about the vast majority of the typical pastor in America has not got into this stuff. And they're not going to have an answer. And that's pitiful. I mean, if Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, it's no wonder if his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness. There's going to be there's going to be so much lying, deception, and signs and wonders. Now, the Bible says, "A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after sign." So, this is what we're dealing with. We don't want to be seeking after signs, but there's going to be a lot of signs because those are going to seem real. Something I can really hang my hat on. I saw it with my own eyes, and they would rather go to hell and have it their way and have their little, have their sin and believe a lie then turn to what the Bible says and believe the truth. And it's going to be very convincing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's, it's going to be very convincing for a lot of these people. 
Um, going further here, another expenditure, uh, we're talking about our excessive expenditures of our, uh, our government. Another expenditure is in the form of a contract for $385 million, which was signed on the Witch's Sabbat of February 2nd, 2007. A Witch's Sabbat is a Witch's High Day. This contract was awarded to KBR, the engineering and contractor subsidiary of Halliburton, with which Dick Cheney was um, former CEO. The contract was given through the Department of Homeland Security for the construction of a number of what we call detention processing and enforcement facilities by, by the respected Market Watch magazine. That is exactly what Adolf Hitler called his concentration camps. So they're making more and more concentration camps in this country. Now I don't know another place on earth where they're doing this at this level, where they're, where they're erecting these concentration camps like they are in America. If there are other places they're doing this, I haven't heard of it. So that dynamic that's taking place in America is happening in this country to a greater extent than probably any other part on earth. Because there's more people that they would want to put away here. Most of the other countries, I think a lot of them are already kind of given in or given over. There's a lot of people in this country, and even a lot of them aren't Christians, but they're patriots that would fight. You know? So that's I think that's one of the big differences here. Um... On January 25th, the U.S. military announced at Moody Air Force Base in Georgia that they have a non-lethal ray gun that shoots a beam that makes people feel as if they're on fire. It is designed for use in crowd control. It hits the people with 130-degree 130 Fahrenheit heat. It makes them feel like their clothes will catch fire, and this completely disables them. It is effective from 500 yards away. The world is in a state of chaos and wars. Um... Iranian President Hamajadeen recently announced that Iran has now nuclear weapons, that the Iranian government has also reported that they have 1,400 uranium mines in their country. Wow. And Iran also boasted they have installed 3,000 centrifuges and other uranium tools used in making weapons-grade nuclear materials. Now again, this is the this is the big thing. Iran and Israel. I mean, this is what could be World War III. That's why I wanted to mention that. We talked about that last week. On December 20th, on the witch's eve of on the eve's on the eve of the witch's Sabbat of Yule, um, President Bush announced that the United States must increase the size of the U.S. Army Marines. On September 24, 2006, the Selective Service announced <clears throat> their plans to conduct a draft exercise. Scott Campbell, the Director of Operations and Chief Information Officer for Selective Services, stated that, the, that it's only a test to see if everything works from the upper levels right on down to the local draft boards. They're also concerned their plans to effectively deal with those who claim to be conscientious objectors. Another area where tension is running high is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and we've talked about this already today. Israeli repair workers were doing some excavating to repair a ramp to the area located close to the Al-Aska Mosque, the third most holy shrine in Israel, and this is the, the Dome of the Rock thing. Severe violence broke out as Muslims feared for their mosque. You know, some, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I can't wait till they blow that thing off there. I, I, I despise the Muslim religion. I, I so do. I want them to get saved. I pray to God they get saved. But it's, it's such a hypocritical... They can do whatever they want. They can kill all these people, maim, slaughter, do whatever they want to do. 
and we're not supposed to say a thing. And if we say anything about them, they turn out in the streets saying, you all should be beheaded. And, and with their signs and all that. It's, it's so hypocritical. You know, I, I just... Anyway, um, the mosque is built on the site of the Hebrew temple. There's a powerful movement that intends to replace the mosque with the rebuilt Jewish temple. This is an act that would no doubt cause immediate World War III. Though that's another easy way to... Now, you could have what you could have. What I think is a plausible scenario is, okay... Let's 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 go let's let's go and we'll we'll nuke um, Iran or whatever they're going to do and at the same time simultaneously blowing that dome of the rock off its off its pins and uh, immediately starting temple construction at that point where they could actually get kind of a jump start on temple building prior to the tribulation starting and I think that's one of the most plausible scenarios I could be wrong but I'm just it's just conjecture at this point it just seems like likely that that could happen. Uh, the economy of the United States of America was once the strongest in the world. What happened? According to Financial Times Magazine, the euro, which is only five years old, has overtaken the U.S. dollar on the world market. The value of the euro notes of circulation has now exceeded the value of the U.S. dollar notes in circulation. Financial Times Magazine reported that American profits growth is coming to an abrupt end. With low earnings growth, growth environment is upon us. The level of personal savings by the people of the United States is at the lowest level since the Great Depression of seven decades ago. It is also a sad fact that the average American family now carries a high interest credit card debt of $13,000. With that in mind, why did our U.S. government send $12 billion of cash in shrink-wrapped packages of $100 bills to Iraq and then give the cash away without any record of accountability? I didn't know they'd even done this. One CPA officially stated that Iraq was awash with $100 bills. One co- contractor paid was paid $2 million in a duffel bag full of shrink-wrapped bills. Much of the money disappeared after being brought on a C-130 cargo plane and then thought to have fallen into the hands of the enemies. Reconstruction of Chairman Henry Waxman had this to say. Quote, the way the cash had been handled was mind-boggling. The numbers are so large that it doesn't seem possible that they are even true. Who in their right mind would send 363 tons of cash? 363 tons of cash? Into a war zone. End of quote. What crafty and unscrupulous conspiracy was behind this? Is there a conspiracy that is trying to reduce the United States down to an interdependent, helpless unit of the one world government? Oh yeah, there sure is. Kill the middle class of America, and there's not a whole lot standing in the way of the New World Order. Not to say God's not on the throne preventing it, but I'm saying that that's what, one of the main things he's used. The following is an amazing quote from David Rockefeller, the chairman of the Council of Foreign Relations from 1970 to 1985, and the founder of the Trilateral Commission. The quote is found on page 405 of his autobiography, Memoirs. This is a quote from his autobiography. Quote, Some even believe we, the Rockefeller family, are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. End of quote. Oh, man! How bad could you get? 
You talk about, man, he's not holding anything back. So, um, the, the thing I like about these, they're always uplifting. The last trumpet newsletters, they're just fun-filled and whimsical. Just kidding. A little humor there. Okay, this next part is, who owns your body? These are strange times. The governments of the world take on the characteristics of the satanic beast and exert their power to control people over to control people and enslave them. On February 4th, 2007, the state of Texas has decided to force all schoolgirls ages 11 to 12 to be vaccinated with the Merck Pharmaceuticals human papillomavirus HPV vaccine called Gardasil. Oh yeah. The virus is one that can cause cervical cancer, uh, but it's only transmitted by sexual activity. Well, hey, you know, what better way to encourage your little girl to go out and have sexual relations than give her the vaccine, say anything goes. Now, honey, you can go out and do it. Do whatever you want to do. Isn't that unbelievable? How sick. The action that made this vaccine mandatory was not the action of the Texas legislature, but was done by the executive order of Governor Rick Perry. It was executive order. Governor Rick Perry, who himself bills himself as a conservative Christian. How sick. What stinking Bible, and I mean that literally, are they reading from? Because it's not the Bible that we read from. It's not the true word of God. It's some perversion, if this is what he's basing his Christianity off. Reportedly, Governor Perry has several ties to Merck Pharmaceuticals. And Merck is expected to make $630 million on this project over the next five years. Well, isn't that nice? Love of money is the root of all evil. It is estimated that 1.75 million girls will be vaccinated before they reach their teen years. Now, I put out, I put out several updates on this since then. And this vaccine uh, is, um, well, it's, it's straight from the pit of hell. That's my opinion of it. And I, I can back that up. But the thing about this is the same day that he issued this executive order, he met with Merck that day and received a huge financial contribute, contribution. That's already come out in the news. So there's so much back office dealing in regard to this particular vaccine. It's, the public outcry is getting so great now they've actually got quite a few states that are... Um, they're pulling back from this and say, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to, because there's enough public outcry. And this is the reason why I did that tour on the avian flu, because one of my things was if we can create enough public awareness, we don't give a green light to the Illuminati, to these globalists, that we want, that we're going to just be stupid and lay down and let you run over us with a steamroller. If we, if we, if there's enough public outrage or outcry, they'll typically back off. This is what we're seeing here with this vaccine now. We're actually seeing it now with the national ID card. Because there's, I think, 20 states now that are going against that as well. And there's some that have totally wanted to pull out of it. So, this is why a lot of times people say, well, just preach the gospel, bless God. Well, number one, we are the body of Christ. Every one of us has a different function and unit. And I do preach the gospel. Every time that I will send out my health newsletters, um, and there's a lot of other ways we do it, I provide links on ways to get saved and things of this nature. So that is one of my ministries. But another one of my ministries is to make make the body of Christ aware how we're being destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
and that we're not destroyed for lack of knowledge, and that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And that's the, the, every part of the body of Christ is different. The finger's different than the eye. And can the finger say to the eye, depart me, I have no need of you, because they're different? Just because one guy's a door knocker, and I'm doing what I do, doesn't mean that I'm not part of the body of Christ. So, if we were just all preaching the gospel, and that's all anybody was doing, who would send the money to put the missionaries out there? Who would educate us on things like current events? Who would be the ones that would um, uh, possibly have missionaries to stay at their house on furlough? Things of this nature. So we're not all cookie cutter, just called to do the exact same thing in the body of Christ. We all have unique callings. And this is why I do what I do, because I have a burden for this area. Um, Getting back to this article, it says there is overwhelming evidence that there's no such thing as a safe vaccine. In fact, there are many grave dangers in becoming a human voodoo doll at the hands of the medical profession, especially when it becomes mandatory by an executive order. Does the government own your body? We must remember that once the once rare condition of autism now affects one out of 150 children. There are strong links between vaccinations and autism. I personally have met a number of people who have had normal children, but after the vaccinations, the children became autistic. There are now... 560,000 autistic children in the, in the United States alone. Now, I know a guy that I used to actually work with, he had two children that became autistic the day after they received their vaccines. They were normal. Now they're autistic. We're taught in chiropractic college about vaccines. We're not The one that I went to, we weren't real super pro-nutrition, but we were taught the evils of the vaccines. And he went to that same contract. He graduated, I think, a year behind me. I couldn't understand how he was getting his kids vaccinated. But he kept getting them even after they got autism. There's whole support groups of people that have had children that became autistic in extremely close proximity to them getting the vaccine. I know a lady that, that has a billboard up in Ocala. When her child got vaccinated, the, the child basically went into cardiac arrest. They actually had to try to bring the kid back to life. He went, died in the elevator on the way out of the doctor's office, essentially. So, this stuff goes on every day. It's just that the media is controlled in large part due to the same special interest groups that own the pharmaceutical companies and the medical monopolies and cartels. And as a result of that, you're not going to see it in the media. So, it's something we have to kind of dig for. Another gimmick being used to control children is through drugs through drugs is, is a screening program called Teen Screen, and this is another one I put a lot of emails about on. If you have any more desire to know about any of these particular things that I'm talking about, you can email me, and I will uh, try to get that information to you. This is a nationwide program developed by a psychiatrist named David Schaefer, and it consists of a psych- psychiatric examination of every child in America to determine if they, can, if they have any suicidal tendencies. If it is determined that they do have such tendencies, psychiatric drugs can be prescribed. To find out what schools are using Teen Screen, you can go to, and it gives you the website here, it's www.teenscreenlocations.com. Another example of oppression and abuse of power is the bill that has been introduced in Texas that records, requires parents to attend parent-teacher conferences or be fined $500 and then be given a criminal record. Give me a break. We have been warned well in advance that the days would come when the end time beast would rise up to oppress all the people of the Almighty. Those days are most certainly here. Thankfully, we have help from above, and by faith, all will be well. 
the last part of this goes on to say this Saturday evening it is, is the Chinese New Year and it begins the year of the pig. Oh, great. Chinese soothsayers have the following to say about it. This is the year of the pig. Um, it is the pig signals the conflicts before the new world order. It is indeed a year of pigs as filth and immorality of every kind abounds. This is unbelievable. The Vatican City has now been declared the number one crime city per capita in the entire world. The Vatican City has a population of 492 citizens who have committed 341 civil offenses and 486 criminal actions. That is 1.5 cases per person. These crimes happen even though there is one Swiss Guard member for every four people in Vatican City. Now, doesn't that remind you of Washington, D.C., which has the highest crime rate of any city in, in America and all these other perversion and immorality things going on in Washington, D.C.? Because out of, that, out of that corrupt, Masonic, occult city emanates corrupt things. And by their fruits you shall know them. Look at the Vatican. Paganism repackaged with a veneer of Christianity where the fountainhead of Catholicism spews forth its blasphemy. It's no wonder. Washington, D.C. and Vatican City, two peas in a pot. They've got the two biggest obelisks on, on earth. The second biggest one's in Vatican City. The first biggest one is the Washington Monument. Washington, 33rd degree Freemason. That's why we name it Washington, D.C. What does D.C. stand for? District of Columbia. What does Columbia stand for? The goddess Columbia. Like the goddess of Diana and Ishtar and Semiramis and all these goddesses. She is part of the Columbia Pictures. She's a goddess um, that, that is, a, is a fallen angelic demonic goddess. So we have Washington, 33rd degree Freemason. They only honor their own. Why would they put him on the dollar bill? Why would they put him on the quarter? Why would they name a whole city after him? If he was this godly man that, that he supposedly portrayed the founder of our country. And if you, if you doubt that, please email me and I will flood you with information in regard to George Washington. I'm sorry. I'm not saying he never did anything good. But I'm saying that what we've, what we've believed in this country for the most part is a lie. Total lie. And so much so about Washington, D.C., David Bay has actually got a video, and I'm waiting for it, I'm hoping to get it any day, on the occult symbology of Washington, D.C. You think all this was by accident? No. The Freemasons actually laid out the street designs of Washington, D.C. The, the Washington Monument itself, the largest um, uh, obelisk in the world, an obelisk is where, where, where do we get the obelisks from? from? From the ancient Egyptians, probably it's pure Baal worship is what it is. It's worshipping of the phallus symbol. That's what the obelisk is symbolic of, the phallus, the male, the male reproductive organ. That's what these people are worshipping. The Washington Monument is 666 feet high, 555 feet from the base, but it goes another 111 feet down, 666 feet high. I mean, that's, isn't that kind of a tip-off or maybe something a little bad? If you look at it at night, it has two little red glowing eyes coming out. looks like some devil. Oh, no. No, no it's godly. Oh, bless God, it's all godly. Do you realize that above the Capitol, do you know what's on the top of the Capitol, of, of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C.? Columbia. The goddess Columbia on there. 
Well, this is all pure paganism and witchcraft. Other than that, there's no problem. I mean, maybe I'm just overreacting here. Maybe I'm just, you know, oh, he needs to get his head screwed on straight. I've heard that a lot about me. Well, maybe they're right. I don't know. But, you know, all I would ask is that you prove me wrong. The Bible says a wise man will receive a rebuke and love you for it. I just haven't run across anybody that can prove most of this stuff wrong. I wish it was wrong. I don't want to be right. I don't want this to be because I want to be Mr. Know-it-all. I wish it wasn't right, but the Bible predicted it was going to be this way. So, uh, going further, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there were 1,152 9-11 emergency calls from the public schools during the last school year. Um, in New York City, sex diseases are raging out of control with one of every ten girls infected with either gonorrhea or chlamydia. These are all reference things I'm giving you here. This isn't stuff he's making up. And if you want to go to his website to check this email out for yourself, it's www.lasttrumpetministries.org. Lasttrumpetministries.org. And you can go view it right online. And if you get on his, his, his mailing list, he doesn't email these out, but he will mail them to you. And I'm on his mailing list. Um, if you give a small donation every year, he'll send you. Uh, so, in England, figures now show that 100 teenage girls per month have an abortion for the second time. And this is the second time they're getting it, every month. It's also been reported that England is anticipating an even greater sexual revolution because beginning on Valentine's Day of this year, the sex drug Viagra will be sold over the counter. England is also the place where a 12-year-old boy has had a sex change operation. Thus, a physically normal boy named Tim is now named Kim. Girl named Kim. The entire world has gone mad with lust and is a sure sign of our Savior's return to the Dutch world uh, return to judge the world in righteousness. That day cannot come too soon as far as I am concerned. In Holland, Dutch gyms are sponsoring naked days when people come to the gym for a nude workout. Great. Also in Holland, in the city of Amsterdam, a gay pride celebration to include a canal boat for homosexual boys from 11 to 16 years old. Oh yeah. The city of Amsterdam is also erecting a bronze statue. That's why I said Holland's the worst. As far as I'm concerned, I don't think there's any place on earth that's more wicked than Holland. Amsterdam being the, the, the zenith of that. The city of Amsterdam is also erecting a bronze statue dedicated to prostitutes around the world. It's just, you can't even hardly conceive of this. It's, it's almost like, What? The statue represents a self-assured woman with her hands on her hips, looking sideways toward the sky, and standing on a doorstep, the monument uh, doorstep to hell. That would be a little bit more accurate. The monument honoring all prostitutes of the world has received the blessing of city authorities. This is all referenced when I'm reading you. This is not being made up. So many things are happening that grieve the Holy Spirit of the Almighty One. We know the great sovereign acts of God and His divine intervention happen at all times. When orders were given by the governments to kill babies, when Pharaoh of Egypt gave the order to kill all the male Hebrew babies, it was not long until God poured out the ten plagues on the idolatrous land and freed His people. We 
we also know that our first coming of the Lord, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a time at which King Herod ordered the killing of all children that were under the age two. Historical references tell us that the way Herod accomplished this was that he held a festivity honoring all the mothers while he provided government-sponsored child care. When the mothers voluntarily turned their children over to the government, the government killed them all. Afterward, the cry went up that was great and dreadful. Now, I didn't know that. I wasn't aware of that, but you know, maybe he's done more homework in that area. In our country, many millions of babies have been killed before or during birth, and what have, and what and we have a government that permits it. In India, UNICEF reported that 10 million baby girls have been killed by their parents in the past 20 years. Unbelievable. Because their culture is such that girls are more of an expense than a liability. That, that is so stinking sick. That, that is so terrible. What discerning Christian could doubt that the coming of our Lord Savior of our Lord and Savior is is at the very door. Are you ready? Watch and pray. Okay, and to close things out, we're going to go ahead and just go through some some verses in Proverbs. Uh, let's go to Proverbs nine. <clears throat> Proverbs nine. Let's go to verse seven. Now we had mentioned this. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, and he that rebuketh a, a wicked man getteth himself a blot. This is why you need to be somewhat careful about doing these types of things because you're not going to get anywhere rebuking or reproving a scorner or a wicked man because they're just going to hate you for it. They're going to try to bring shame on you. And then it says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate you, thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. That's the difference. Why would a wise man love you? Because a wise man is intrinsically going to be humble. And he's not going to get offended when you... Now granted, the Bible says, Go to such an one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. If you see your brother overtaking a thought, Go to such an one in a spirit of meekness, lest thou also be tempted. Okay, so this is the way we're supposed to do it. I don't see a whole lot of that going on in modern day Christianity at all. It's, well, bless God, they preach, they preach from the pulpit and they pistol whip each other from the pulpit and make an enemy and there's no reconciliation. I've seen it in many, many, many of seminars. That's why I'm not real big on them anymore going to these things because I see so much backbiting and hatred. Now somebody could listen to me today and say, oh, well, you're just full of this or that. You think you're so smart. I know. No, I don't. Actually, I really don't. Uh, but I'm, I, the Bible says I may therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Actually, do you love someone enough to tell them the truth? And that's what a lot of it boils down to. If you make an enemy by telling them the truth, and you've warned them, that's a good thing. Because if they die in that sin, according to Ezekiel 3 and 33, your blood will be required at their hands. Now again, I'm not 100% sure how that would play out at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't really know. But I think you can always err on the side of safety by if, if you're with a brother and warning them about things that are biblical, you really can't go wrong. Now, when it comes to an unsaved scorner or a wicked man, it might be another deal. Now, not to say God would never put you in a position where you could warn them, but it, you, you do want to kind of bear these verses in mind. Verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be 
he will be yet wiser. So this is how you get wiser. You observe and act on instruction, biblical instruction. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Okay, so this is good. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So much of the fear of the Lord and wisdom and knowledge are all tied together in one package. I just don't see how you can have one without the other. You just really can't. For by, for by me thy days shall be multiplied. What is me? The fear of the Lord. And the years of thy life shall be increased. If thou be wise, thou shalt be wise for thyself. If thou, but if thou scornest, thou shalt alone bear it. A foolish woman is clamorous. Clamorous. She is simple and knowing nothing. Clamorous is like somebody that wants to create a clamor. Uh, 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 you've seen women like this and they just want to go out um, and cause trouble, essentially. A foolish woman, it says, wants to do this. And I think that would apply to a man as well. Um, and it talks a little bit more about her. A foolish woman, for she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. Whoso is simple, let him turn whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Well this is the advice this woman this foolish woman is going to give to the simple that stolen waters are sweet. In other words, you know, this, this is like the exact opposite wisdom of the Bible. Stolen waters are sweet. Anything stolen, you know, uh, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Things that are done in secret, things that are stolen, things that are not revealed. And I believe this would also include sex acts that you would have with a woman like him, like her. But he knoweth not that the dead are there. Where? The dead are with this type of woman. And that her guests are in the depths of hell. Because a woman like this will take you to hell ultimately. If you succumb to this. <clears throat> we'll go on to verse 10. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father. But a foolish son is heaviness of his mother. I think that one speaks for itself pretty much. Treasures of wickedness... Profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. Now, I think the biggest way righteousness would deliver from death is actually from the death of hell. Um, putting on the righteousness of Christ is the ultimate way, you know, being saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord it says the treasures of wickedness profit is nothing. I mean, when you think about. Well, yeah, it does on this earth. Well, <laughs> this earth is just one little sliver of time. It's nothing compared to eternity. Nothing. So you don't want to compare eternity, which is really... You can't compare that in this short little time we live in. In eternity, these riches will not profit anything. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casteth away substance of the wicked. He becometh poor and dealeth with a slack he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So a diligent person um, now what slack is in reference to is slow or negligent. That's what that word means. 
So, but the hand of the diligent make of rich. These are just attributes of work, work ethic attributes. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son. But he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. So, if you can gather, if, if you're in a position where you can gather, and summer doesn't necessarily mean there's only one time of year where you can gather. A summer can mean a whole season of your life where you're actually able to gather. And then, what? that's why the Bible says, consider the ant thou sluggard, okay, because he, he put us up in summer and he has meat in winter. That means that when you have the ability to gather and to put away, it can pre- prepare for the evil that is coming, especially if you foresee the evil, then you should do this thing. Because it's it's a biblical thing to do. You gather it in something. And I don't mean like the rich man did in the Bible where he put away all his grain and barns and says, ah, this day I will be, you know, uh, I'll go out and be merry and, 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 and do whatever I want to do and say to my soul, you know, these things. And so we're not in reference to that. Because Jesus said to that man, he says, Thou fool, don't you know that this night thy soul will be required of thee? And he went to hell. Uh, but a lot of times I think this is biblical to do from the standpoint of people that you can help in the future when things do get bad. Because if things get bad and you have you have supply that you stored up biblically in a biblical way, then you could be a blessing to others when times are bad. And you could be a light to them when other people haven't prepared at all. Because I'm telling you right now, people aren't preparing for what's coming. They're not. Oh, I'm just going to go on my merry way. It's never going to get bad. They've never lived through the, the depression like their grandparents have lived through. Um, so they're they're so caught up in just this world and living day to day and, and so in debt, and so caught up in the moment and in pleasure that they don't... And, and they have no idea what's coming. And it is coming, in America especially. So, and then it says, Blessings are upon the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. So if you see a person that, in his speech, it's always a violent, toward a violent bent, well then you know that most likely that's a wicked person. Because see, that's what I like about Proverbs, because it, you, can, you can, one thing leads to another. It's, it's a book of cause and effect. Violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. So see, if you see somebody that has a violent speech in that pattern, you can just pretty much assume biblically he's a wicked person. Okay? The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. So that pretty much speaks for itself. The wise in heart will receive commandments, but a praying fool shall fall. So somebody that's wise in heart is going to receive biblical commandments. They're going to receive biblical instruction. That's how if you know somebody's actually wise. So so many times I'll get in biblical arguments with somebody who say they're Christians, they won't receive, they have some twisted or distorted view on things. And it really boils down to their opinion. They will not receive instruction. What can you do? How are you getting an argument with like that? I mean, if they're coming at it from a totally different angle that's unbiblical, it's kind of a pointless argument that you're in. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely. And uprightly, when they say this means, meaning you're living your life in an upright way, it doesn't mean that you're, you've evolved from the ape-like status that Darwin said we've evolved. Now we're walking upright. No, it's actually the way you live your life. 
but he that perverteth his ways shall be known. Now, when you pervert your ways, that's why the Bible says everything that, that is in darkness shall be made light. Okay? And this is why people that are involved in organizations like the Masons and these secret societies with where they pursue esoteric or gnosis, like the Gnostics, the hidden knowledge, well, all this stuff's going to be brought out. Because if people knew what was going on in these organizations, they would avoid them and probably lynch them. But because it's all hidden, it's okay. Well, at least it is in this life for a little time. But it says, He that perverts ways shall be known. He that winketh with his eye shall cause sorrow. Now, this word winketh mean, in this context, is a secret agreement. It is also in reference to flirtation, lying, or secret complicity. Now, I've looked all these words up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and I've wrote it in my Bible. When it comes to a word like this that isn't real obvious, now I'm not saying I've done it with every word, but that's what this is in reference to. But a prating fool shall fall. Now again, it says a prating. Uh, oh no, that was the yeah. But a prating fool. Now prating means babbling. That's what that word means. Babbling. Uh, you know, they're, 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 their mouth run runneth over. You know, so they they just. And that's another sign of a fool. Somebody that can't keep their tongue. Now I think I've fallen into that category a few times. I think we all have. Okay, it's not like this. But are we learning? Are we learning? You know, I mean. <laughs> That, that's the point. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. So now, this is a good judge. For, this is a Christian. I look at a lot of these as Christian self-checks. Is your mouth, is what you're putting forth of the information you're giving to others, is it tending toward life or tending toward death? Because this is a Christian self-check. This is how I look at particularly the book of Proverbs, much of the New Testament. Is my mouth a well of life, or is it a well of death? Is it a, is it a mouth of, of where am I putting out wisdom and understanding? Am I, am I pointing people toward Christ, toward the Bible, toward righteousness? Or am I pointing them toward wickedness? Am I pointing them toward deception? That's why I'm real careful. I try to be careful in what I send out on my email list. Because I realize that I'm accountable for these things. And I've put out some bad stuff before, and I've admitted it. Um, I think what it's done, though, is made me wiser to not do it again. I used to get more people emailing me back saying, oh, this was wrong, you didn't check into this, and I'm like, oh, you're right, I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry about that. It doesn't happen near as much anymore. Well, I'm I'm trying to learn from my mistakes. I'm not perfect. I tell them, I'm not perfect. The massive amount of information that I get, there's just, it's very, very hard to police every bit of it. But I try as much as I can. Uh, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. But violence cover the mouth of the wicked. And again, we, we talked about that. Hatred stirreth up strites. Strites. What's a strife? Like a, like a fight. You know, like these types of things. Hatred will stir these things up. But love covereth all sins. Now, ultimately, the love of Jesus Christ for us is what why he voluntarily went to the cross, shed his blood to cover all of our sins. Greater love no man than this. Greater love hath no man than this. Than a man would lay down his life for his friend. Isn't that what Jesus Christ did for us? Greater love hath no man than that. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did. But love covereth all sins. Ultimately, the reason he shed his blood was because of love. 
That's why he left the portals of heaven to come down here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. See, that's all ties together. Now, if we go to 1 Peter 4.8, First Peter four eight. Interesting little verse here. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Now, charity is the highest expression of love, according to Webster's eighteen twenty eight. It's not what we think of today, like going to Goodwill and dropping off a bag of goods. Totally different. It's the highest expression and embodiment of all that love has. You know, the Bible even talks about that. I wonder if I have that verse marked here. Um, uh, James 5.20 James 5.20 I'm I'm probably going to end here. James 5.20 Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the air of his ways shall save the soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Well, now that sounds like soul winning. I mean, that's the only way you can save the soul from death is if you, if you, if you got saved. I mean, there's no other way. I mean, you're, you're not going to say, oh, no, you, you shouldn't do that. Uh, and he doesn't do it. Let's say he was going to rob a bank. He doesn't, he doesn't rob the bank. But then he goes and burns in hell. How are you going to save that soul from death if he didn't get saved? He had to get saved. So that's James 2.20 says, um, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from his heir of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Shall hide a multitude of sins. Well, now, most likely that is in reference to the fact that when he get saved, when you save the soul from death, when you help convert this one, the Holy Spirit's the one that actually does the conversion process. You can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to draw that person. But when that happens, I know one thing. If I wouldn't have gotten saved, and I think we can all say this, don't you think you would have committed a lot more sin up to right now in your life than you would have had you not got saved? I mean, I mean, I think if I'm looking at my life, if I wouldn't have got saved in 93, I would have committed a lot more sin up till now. Maybe this is why it says this, that, that when you convert a sinner from the air of his way, you should save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. These are sins that will never be committed. Never. They, they were going to be committed if they wouldn't have been converted. But now the Holy Spirit lives inside that person. They have that conscience. doesn't mean they're going to live in sinless perfection and never sin. But they're going to sin a lot less. There's going to be conviction of the sin. And they're, and they're in turn going to go around and try to hopefully reproduce the same thing. It's like a tree that's producing good fruit. They're going to reproduce after its own kind. Christians help to convert other Christians so that they're producing after their own kind. A wicked tree will do the exact opposite. It'll actually produce after its own kind and produce fruit unto sin. So it says, going back to First uh, Peter 4.8, it says, And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves. And charity, again, is the highest embodiment and expression of love. 
for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Probably when you exert charity toward one toward another, think about it this way. Let's just give a practical example here. If you were on the verge of doing something really bad, even as a, even as a Christian, okay, or it's something you shouldn't have been doing, or, or even or even if it's somebody that's unsaved, and they were going to do something really bad, and you go to them in great charity and in, in this highest embodiment of love, and that just diffuses the person. It just totally... They don't have any urge or desire to commit this sin because this, they've just experienced this, this charity, this caring, this, this highest embodiment of love. That sin, again, is never committed. It's, it, it's, it was going to be committed, but now it's not. It's not committed anymore. The example I heard was this, this preacher that was going down, this was Ruckman actually that said this, he was going down the street, he was witnessing in this bar, and this man, nobody was receiving anything, and he walked down the street, and this guy followed him out of the bar, and the man said, I'm going to go kill my girlfriend right now, but I, I heard what you were preaching on, and, and, and uh, I just wanted to tell you I was going to go kill her, but I appreciate you coming down here and doing it. And he says, why are you going to go kill her? He says, well, she's cheating on me with this other guy. He says, here's the gun. It was loaded. And uh, Dr. Ruckman talked to him and a- actually ended up winning him to the Lord. And he had a total change of heart, count- change of countenance. He ended up giving the, the man, the, he ended up giving Ruckman the gun and the bullets. Well, because that sinner was converted from the air of his ways, that murder did not happen. I think that's a good example of charity, fervent charity, covering the multitudes. Now, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can really cover our sin, our sin debt. Um, but again, the blood of Jesus Christ is what saves us. It's what converts the soul. So, um, it's all tied together. All this is tied together. Uh, let's see here. So we already went to James 5.20. Uh, Colossians 3.14. I want to go through. There's actually a few verses I've got listed here. More than a few, but uh, pretty interesting stuff here. Colossians, what did I say, 3.14? Colossians 3.14 And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. That's how God views charity. The bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body. And be ye thankful. I think charity and thankfulness go together. Uh, so that's another that's another confirming thing here. First Corinthians thirteen four through eight. First Corinthians thirteen four through eight. Okay, here's the attributes of charity. Well, let's see if you go to verse two. Hmm. Well, here, let's go to verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal, and though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. 
the Lord bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What does this imply? This implies that you could be doing all of this just for the sake of being saw. Look at me. But it's not really love that's motivating you to do it, the highest embodiment of love. You give all your goods to the poor, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily doing it because God is leading you to do it through the gift of charity. It doesn't mean that. You could be doing like most people do. Well, I'm going to work my way to heaven. Which is why they're doing it. Charity, and this is the attributes of charity, suffereth long, it's long suffering, and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, it's not proud doesn't try to take preeminence, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Man, I've dealt with so many Christians that are so easily provoked. They've got, they've got the, the, the skin of a... They're so thin-skinned you can't say anything. you got to walk around eggshells. Well, that's the opposite of charity. Are you easily offended? That's a, that's, a, that's a sign that you're not walking in charity. Now again, I'm not saying this because I think I'm perfect. I'm just saying that's one of the attributes that I see most frequent and most common in the body of Christ. Easily offended people. Because they get established in this dogma for some false thing that they're learning from whatever. Either from some teaching, some TV ministry, some pastor they're going to. And they get violent almost when you go against that. Even though they can't biblically justify their position. Why? They're proud. And they're lazy many times. They don't want to they don't want to they don't want to do the study necessary in order to find the truth. And the truth would be too too uh, painful for them to deal with anyway. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, which is sin, but rejoiceth in truth. Charity rejoices in truth. Now that's something I don't see a lot of Christians operating in at all. How can you say that? Because they're not. There's so much deception and air they live in every single day, how can they rejoice in truth? Actually, the truth reviles them. So you have to wonder, are they, are they even saved? It doesn't look like they would be. Why would they, why would they not have a desire for truth? This is an attribute of charity, which is the highest expression of love, which is the Bible says, above all seek and above all operate in charity. But rejoiceth in truth. Not just, oh man. Now I know a lot of this truth isn't the funnest stuff in the world, but but ultimately it's biblically confirming truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things. Now I'm not hundred percent sure what believe all things mean because you don't believe all things. I mean you could you could be aware of all things, but you don't want to believe deception. But I think this would imply believing the truth. Hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Oh, I've seen a lot of prophecies fail. I don't know if I've seen a good one yet. Oh, brother, i got a word of prophecy from the Lord. Okay, let me have it. Many of those I acted on, and they were... I had been thrown a bad bone. They were not... Yeah, well... Deuteronomy 18, I don't think they're living up to the test of a prophet. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Oh me, oh me, can't say that to Pentecostal. Oh no, they shall cease. It says the tongues are going to cease. Prophecies are going to fail. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, biblical knowledge will not vanish away. 
Well, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Okay, we're getting into a whole other study now, so I'll just end that with, with that verse. Um, I want to see Matthew 5, 7. We're almost done here. Man, am I hungry. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, we're almost done. Matthew? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tape them. <laughs> well, it's okay. That's the truth. Matthew 5. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I'm human. Matthew 5, 7. But I'm not ending early just because I'm hungry. That, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm ending early. I'm holding anything back or cutting anything short. Uh, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will shall obtain mercy. Okay, so if you want mercy, then you better be merciful. Okay? Uh, three. I'm just wondering if this is... 10 through 12. No, actually, this is a, I think this is a whole other study. I had, this, I had these verses listed had these verses listed, but I think believe this is a whole other study, which I don't want to really get into right now. This kind of unrelated. Uh, the, the, the gist of everything is that this is a this is an interesting look at charity. And that this should be the the highest and this is something we can pray for. Now, charity is something that, that if, well, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm operating this, Lord, well, then pray for it. If you don't feel like you're operating where you have enough fear of the Lord, pray for fear of God. I've done that for years. You know, the Bible says if, if you know, you ask your, your earthly dad for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. And neither is your Father in Heaven if you ask him for these things. So, just ask. You, you receive not because you ask not. These types of things, when you ask for them, are not... You can't ever accuse yourself of being greed-driven or something. These are spiritual things that you're asking for. But the Bible does also say, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So make sure you go before the Lord, and you've confessed all of your sins, and you've forgiven those, and you have shown mercy, because if you don't show mercy, you can't obtain it. And these are things that hinder your prayers. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead. That will close this out for today. And I'll close this out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. And Lord, I do pray, God, that your word go forth with power and might and dominion and majesty, Lord. I do pray, God, that your truth would go forth throughout all the earth. I do pray, God, that you would make us like David, men and women after your own heart, Lord. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. That you would cleanse us of all iniquity. Purge us, Lord God. Help us to be Christ-like. That every day we will become more Christ-like in every aspect of our lives. Body, soul, and spirit. I pray, God, that you bring us back in the next appointed time. And that, Lord, your name would be glorified. And many would be saved as a result of, the, of your word being preached. Not only here on this recording, but wherever your word is being preached worldwide, God. That you would bless the missionaries around the world. The pastors around the world. Anyone, Lord God, that is putting forth your truth that we would walk in reverence and godly fear of you, 
And that, Lord God, that you would save those that can be saved. For what you will, that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That your fear would be upon this earth. And that that fear would drive them towards salvation. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.